0: Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. How many know there's all kinds of responses? Um, one very common response in our generation and in our culture today in dealing with the issue of guilt is, take the approach of denial. How many has found that out? Just deny it and hope it goes away." Right? Kind of like the person who observed, and I quote, when they said, "In prison, no one committed the crime." Right? Because everybody proclaims their innocence, right? Reminds me of a cartoon where two convicts were in prison. They were whispering about a third convict. The first convict says to the second one, you know, the thing I can't stand about that guy is his guiltier-than-thou attitude. (laughs) How many know no one's ever said that? We find that comical because it's just unheard of. It's unheard of. Naturally, we, we pride ourselves in our graces, not in our guiltiness. Yet the Apostle Paul, interesting. On the occasion of our text, he, he says of himself, he was the chiefest of sinners, right? He has embraced that guiltier-than-thou kind of attitude, believe it or not. But along with Paul's admitted guilt... Few in the Scripture understand God's grace like He did. Right? He truly... I was looking this afternoon. He truly had an accurate working knowledge of man's guilt and God's grace. He knew what it was like to make the exchange of giving God all of His guilt in exchange for God's grace. God's forgiveness. And he goes on to state that by nature, we're all guilty people, right? Told the church at Rome, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect design. We're all guilty of whether it be bad thoughts or false statements or hurtful deeds. Mostly, we're all guilty before a pure and holy God. Therefore, we stand in the need of exchanging our guilt and exchanging our shame for God's forgiveness and God's grace. And if we don't make the exchange, our guilt will keep us running from the very thing we need the most, and that is God's grace. Right? How many can say, I need the grace of God? I need the grace of God. Years ago, London's famous playwright noel coward pulled an interesting prank you probably have read about it he sent an identical note to 20 of the most famous men in london that anonymous note simply read and i quote everybody has found out what you are doing if i were you i would get out of town Supposedly, history says, all 20 men who received that note actually left town. Because why? Guilt makes us run. Right? Guilt makes us run rather than seek reconciliation or seek redemption. And and, and what if you put yourself in their shoe? If, If you opened your mail one day and found such a note addressed to you, what would race through your mind? Maybe the income you failed to report on the tax return. The time you spent on your media device watching something impure and unholy. Maybe the misrepresentation of, of facts you gave on your resume about being an honest, hardworking individual when the truth is you're a deadbeat rascal. All <laughs> right. Well, well, well. All right. If you got your study guide number 1 what is guilt what is guilt somebody ask what is guilt guilt is the dread notice this on your study guide the dread of the past a pain that wells up within our heart because we have violated a rule or a law or a social what standard It can involve issues in our culture. It can involve issues in our family. It can involve issues in our legal system. And especially, it involves sins related to violating the standards of God's Word. Guilt can also come from a feeling of inadequacy due to not living up to your own standards. Truth is, guilt can make us do some very strange things. I read a humorous story relating how a farmer once promised the Lord in service one night that he was going to sell one of his calves and give them money to missions. But he never followed through with that pledge. And so he said every time he went to church, an inner voice reminded him that calf must be sold. Every time he came to church Sunday morning, Wednesday Bible study, that inner voice, that calf must be sold. Still, he procrastinated, did nothing about it. One Sunday, he decided to attend an outdoor revival meeting in the rural community where he lived. And as he approached the outdoor service, the people were singing the old hymn entitled, The Half Has Never Been Told. Since the farmer's conscience was bothering him, he mistook the words and heard him singing, the calf has never been sold. (laughs) The calf has never been sold. As he entered the gathering, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, please stop singing. I know the calf has not been sold, but I'll sell it tomorrow. I promise. Why? Because his conscience had caught up with him. Right? And it caught up in the form of guilt. Guilt. Truth is, unresolved guilt can plague us for years. Right? It can bring untold amounts of misery into our lives, church. I read how guilt moved a former American soldier in 1974 to send a note to the United States government that read, and I quote, enclosed is the money for blankets that I stole during World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry, I'm so late. I just want to be ready to meet God. Hmm? Interesting. They said the government took his money and placed it in what they have. It's called a conscience fund. Our government started a conscience fund back in 1811. That fund was started because people began sending money back to the government due to their guilty conscience. They said by the mid 1990s it had taken in 3.5 million. They said they receive on average 45,000 a year from people trying to clear their guilty conscience that's the power of guilt guilty conscience causes us to do some strange things farmer was on his way home after picking up a new car he had just purchased he approached his farm he decided to test the acceleration and the speed so he just passed his long driveway that led to his farm and he drove on for about a mile or so past his house then after making a sharp u-turn he just speeds right back towards his driveway but a man coming the other way driving in a station wagon observed the u-turn of that farmer and his fast rate of speed and he thought that that farmer's automobile was an unmarked police car so trying to avoid detection he quickly turns into the farmer's driveway and he heads down the driveway leading to the farm. And of course, he was being followed by the returning farmer who was just going home. The driver came to a dead end at the farmer's driveway, and he jumps out and starts running through the fields, abandoning his station wagon right there in the farmer's driveway. The farmer begins to walk over and investigate, and he finds the station wagon is filled with cigarettes and ammunition that had been stolen. The owner had a guilty conscience right and made him flee even though no one was pursuing him right reminds me of Proverbs 28 1 remember that one the wicked flee when no man pursueth why it's the power of a guilty conscience right oh yeah we've all been there traveling down the highway you see the patrolman, you automatically hit those brakes, right? May not have been speed, but it's just automatic reflex, right? You know, I've known people experience a kind of of dread, a kind of guilt, obsessed by a memory of some sin that they committed years and years ago, but they've never Dealt with it. Never got it under the blood of Jesus, right? It's never left them. It's crippled their enjoyment of life. It has crippled their devotional life. It has crippled their relationship with others. They live in a constant fear that someone is going to discover their past. That's a terrible feeling. It really is, and so a lot of times. They live in that constant fear that somebody's going to discover their past, that they're going to be exposed. It's like they work overtime for the Lord trying to prove that they're truly repentant. But all the time, their guilt is building barriers against the grace and against the forgiveness of God. So notice on your study guide, and I need you to insert a word there on this next phrase. It needs to read, unaddressed guilt or unresolved guilt is one of the most crippling emotional and spiritual diseases among people today. Did you get that? Did you make that notation? Psychiatrists and doctors say that unresolved guilt is the number one cause of mental illness. The number one cause of suicide. It prompts millions of Americans to, to gulp down pills to tranquilize their anxiety. Psychologist Roy Baumeister, right over in Cleveland from the Case Western Reserve University, he said he studied guilt. And in this study that he performed in 1991, he discovered then, way back then, okay, that the average person spends approximately two hours a day feeling guilty. And he said 39 39 minutes out of those two hours, they would rate their guilt to moderate to severe. Boy, that was over 20 years ago. Sounds like there's a lot of people who need to make the exchange. Their guilt for God's grace. Amen? Let me share with you three basic truths about guilt. If you'll come back to these concepts anytime you begin to feel that guilt, you can understand better what's going on emotionally and help you address the issue. I'll break them down here in just a moment, but let's hit them all three right here. Number one, guilt is a message. Number two, guilt is a debt. And number three, guilt is an opportunity. So let's go back to number one. Guilt is a message. Guilt is actually information. It's God's warning light on the dashboard of our life. If In a sense, it is our conscience trying to tell us that either we caused harm or did something wrong or we're telling ourselves we caused harm or did something wrong, even though we haven't. Our job is to accurately read the message of guilt so we can take the right step and address it scripturally. Right? And appropriately. If we misread the message of guilt, we will react in ways that are spiritually unhealthy, spiritually counterproductive. Now imagine though in a world in which no one ever felt guilt. Do you know the world would consist of psychopaths? People who have no sense of a conscience. Psychopaths only feel guilty when they get caught. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes about this very dilemma when he speaks of the people whose, he said, their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It is if their conscience has been cauterized so that they no longer feel guilty. Having a seared conscience means that our sins have become so commonplace we just simply get used to them. Boy, isn't that where our generation is right now. Hmm? Our sins just don't bother us anymore. How many has heard this phrase? We don't blush anymore. Right? In one sense, guilt is good if it means that our conscience is working. A student makes a decision, let's say, uh, to go out with the youth on a Wednesday night after Bible study, and they go out and they stay out at Wendy's or wherever, Applebee's, when they should be studying for the next morning's important exam. Huh? Well, and if they bomb it, they should feel guilty. Right? An employee spends part of the day doing personal business on company time. He should feel guilty. Right? When we do something wrong, we have a kind of built-in alarm system that says, you're getting off track. You're getting out of bounds. You need to correct your way here. Straighten up. Do right. That alarm system is good. It gives us the opportunity to make a course adjustment or correction. Anybody remember the fictional character Jiminy Cricket? He was somewhat like a walking conscience. He was assigned to be the sidekick of Pinocchio, a puppet with no conscience of his own. Jiminy Cricket was supposed to serve as Pinocchio's conscience and try his best to keep him out of trouble. He didn't always win that war. However, but our conscience has the same purpose in a sense. That's the reason guilt can actually be good. Because without it, the whole world would be haywire. Right? Right? Number two, guilt is not only a message, it is a debt. Guilt means we owe something. Just as a defendant found guilty deserves a sentence, so guilt tells us that there's a consequence. Everybody say consequence. Consequence. There's a consequence to our action or lack of actions. (coughs) And so someone must be compensated and we must give up something, our rights, our freedom, our money, our voice... It might mean we do not deserve the good we might otherwise enjoy if we were not guilty. Remember this. Guilt costs us something. And that cost can drive the decisions we make when we feel guilty. So guilt is a debt. Third, guilt is an opportunity. And this is most powerfully because guilt is an opportunity to change something. Okay, And it's up to us to decide what, what uh, what it will be so so before we beat guilt up too much so to speak we need to be reminded guilt can be constructive on the one hand it's like a, an electric fence you ever touched an electric fence don't do that it's like an electric fence that gives us a jolt when we begin to stray beyond our boundaries right It it sends an alarm to wake us up. Something needs our attention. Like pain, guilt tells us something's wrong. And when we feel it, we don't we shouldn't just sit there. We we should do something about it. And use use that guilt to choose what needs to change guilt is a chance to clarify our values it's a uh, in our expectations it's an opportunity to forgive or be forgiven it is an opportunity to set or strengthen our boundaries and grow spiritually strengthening our faith so this can happen when we respond to it correctly okay jumping back out in your outline number 2 why we feel guilty number 1 is because we cannot hide our wrongs from god you know, in our heart, we know that we're being watched and we'll be held accountable. We may do something in secret, but how many know we can never do anything in total privacy? Amen. You know, today many people fear that the NSA, National Security Agency, is, is reading all their emails or listening to all their calls or tracking them with GPS locators everywhere they go. And that may be true or it may not be true. Ah, you need somebody else, not me. I don't know all that stuff. But there is one who is not only reading our emails, he's reading our minds. God knows what we say. He not only knows what we say, but He knows what we think. He knows where we go. He knows who we're with. Amen. Okay, so we have this guilt because we cannot hide our wrongs from God. That's letter A. Letter B. Because we cannot even hide from ourselves. We must look in the mirror. How many look in the mirror every morning? Well, maybe you should. We look in the mirror every morning. We lie down with our memories every night. We spend time with our conscience each and every day, 24-7. It's true that some people have seared their consciences to the point of not feeling anything. But the vast majority of us know and sense when we've done things against God or our fellow man. We know we cannot hide even from ourselves. That takes us to our final third point. Well, then how do we, Pastor, how do we relieve the pain of guilt? How do we address it? What do we do about it? Well, for answers to this, uh, let's examine Psalm 32. Of all people in Scripture, David had a good reason for feeling guilty, didn't he? We believe that he wrote Psalm 32 after he asked God for forgiveness for his double sin, that double sin of murder and adultery. We find from reading his text in Psalm 32 that his guilt had become overwhelming, it had become immense. He writes, later he says, mine iniquities. And it's interesting that if you look in the Hebrew, when David sometimes uses that word iniquities, it actually means guilt. My guilt has gone over my head, he says. As a heavy burden, it's too heavy for me. Psalm 32 just begins to offer practical steps to exchange our guilt for God's grace. Letter A. From Psalm 32 5, you've got to, first of all, admit your guilt. Everybody say, admit. Some years ago, a preacher was witnessing on the street corner, he, he came upon a man who had fallen down and was apparently so, a, so drunk that he couldn't stand. The preacher leans down and begins to offer to pray for the man to overcome his dependence on alcohol, and the poor old drunk agreed that he needed the prayer, and the preacher began to pray, and he said, dear God, help this poor drunk. Right there, he was interrupted by the inebriated man. And the man said, Sir, don't tell God I'm drunk. Tell Him I'm sick. And I thought, that's the problem with many in our generation today. We don't want to admit our sin. We don't want to call it what it really is. David admitted his sin. He was open about it. In fact, get this, David wrote... Two psalms that were to be sung in worship about his sin. I don't know anyone else in history that's ever done that. Right? None of us would even think of asking the church to regularly sing a hymn declaring our sin. But David found that true conviction leads to 100% exposure. Now, before we continue, let me just mention that there's there's false guilt, there's justified guilt. Um, how can you you say? How do you tell the difference between feeling guilty about something that's not real, and actually being guilty for something it is real? The fact is, some guilt simply comes from Satan. The devil is the accuser, right? The devil accuses us, but he never convicts us he tells us that we are no good listen God never tells us that God convicts us of the exact things we have done in other words Satan is is general in bringing about guilt where God is precise okay but even more than this we can tell if our guilt is conviction by by one simple test And you ask, are we being convicted of something we are still doing or for something we have put behind us and confessed to God? Listen, God will never convict us for a sin which we've already repented of and received forgiveness for. Never. Somebody say never. Never. How do I know? Because God does not remember our sin that has been forgiven. Somebody say praise God for that. He covers it. He casts it in the sea of His forgetfulness. and it's, he, he separates it from us. As far as the east is from the west, only Satan will bring up a sin which God has already forgiven. Did you get that? Do I need to say it again? Okay, I will. Only Satan will bring up a sin which God has already forgiven. That is false guilt. And we must not allow that in our lives. To do so is to make light of the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Is this making sense? Is this putting you all to sleep? See, when we're convicted of sin that we are currently involved in though, or sin for which we have not sought forgiveness through repentance, then that's... That's God convicting us. And we must immediately respond and deal with it appropriately. Not to do so. You know what? If we try to ignore that, it only creates more guilt. More guilt. Church history's old church father, Tertullian, once said this, and I quote, The less you spare yourself, the more God will spare you. Augustine, the other church father, said he had this painted or printed on his wall so that he could read it often. It simply means that if we do not try to spare ourselves, but admit the sin we have committed, God will spare us and give us complete forgiveness. On the other hand, if we don't want to deal with our sin, God will not spare us from the guilt and the sorrow that comes from our unwillingness to be honest with him. See, the nature of sin, how many know the nature of sin is to cover it up? Right? Any fault in our lives causes us first to think of a way to avoid dealing with it. Have you ever noticed that when we trip and fall out in public, the first thing we do is look around to see who saw us? Huh? It is our instinct not to see if we're injured, but rather to check and see
1: who saw us fall.
0: Oh, I mean, our leg can be like sticking straight out and dangling and we're, who saw me? <laughs> See, sin is like that. We usually try to cover it up. And in our generation, how many know we do that by blaming others? like the boy who was called into the principal's office at school he had been in a fight on the in the schoolyard the principal asked him how how he got involved and the boy said it all started when that other boy hit me back <laughs> see that was a slick way of trying to blame the fight he started on somebody else and how many know we do that all the time if we're not careful But to exchange our guilt for God's grace, we have to deal with this honestly and openly before the Lord. You know, our culture, where we're at right now, we have witnessed the downfall of politicians, ministers, businessmen, world leaders. And isn't it interesting that when caught, many of them sidestep the issue of admitting guilt. Hmm? Instead, they blame everybody else. Why? Because they're blinded by their own self-righteousness. Right? But David said it this way in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. Pastor and author Gordon MacDonald He wrote and he said, we cannot expect to live healthy in the future when the baggage of the past keeps banging away at the trap door of our minds, demanding attention. See, the first step to exchanging guilt for grace is admitting something's wrong. You know, many support groups follow the tradition of the Alcoholic Anonymous. Uh, Having its members stand before the group and share their progress. They all begin the same way. Hello, my name is Fred. I'm an alcoholic. Right? It makes sense that we ought to introduce ourselves in the similar way in the Christian community. Hello. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God. Hello, my name is Matt. And I'm out of sync with God at times. Sometimes my life is like a picture frame hanging pretty crooked. Down deep, we know the truth, but something else shouts in protest. No, don't reveal that. So we just hide it and go on our way. But the first step is acknowledge my sin. Admit. Letter B, confront our guilt. Verse 5. David says, I did not conceal my iniquity. And once again, iniquity right there in the Hebrew is actually guilt. He stopped trying to hide it. Because guilt must be confronted and dealt with. To exchange it for grace, we can't continue to hide its reality. We must deal with it. And the truth is, if we don't deal with our guilt, it will deal with us. Right? Let's see how it does that. Number one, it can affect us psychologically. David says in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old. It means become brittle. From my roaring. That means his groaning all the day long, he said. In other words, David's conscience groaned all the day long. David couldn't get the wrong that he had done out of his mind. It woke up with him every morning. It followed him around the palace throughout his daily activities. It laid down and it gnawed at him as he tried to sleep at night. It can affect us psychologically. Secondly, it can also affect us spiritually. David said in verse 4, Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Why? Because it separates us from God. It drives a wedge in our relationship with our Maker. And that, that is unaddressed guilt. That barrier will remain until we deal with it. Number three, it can also affect us physically. It did David. Notice, he said in verse 4, My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. That simply means my strength was drained as in a summer hot day like water that evaporates on a sunny day so did his physical condition you know people have lost their appetite lost their ability to sleep experienced shortness of breath all because of feelings of guilt so the truth is that if we don't deal with our guilt it will what it'll deal with us so let her see what do we got to do confess Our guilt. Verse 5. David said this. He said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. The next step in exchanging guilt for God's grace is to tell God like it is. Right? And really, confession is not telling God something he doesn't already know. In fact, the word confession means simply to agree with. And when we confess our sins to God, we agree that we have rebelled against His authority or we have uh, bucked against it. But we agree that we have missed the mark or the standard that He has set for our lives. We agree that something twisted in us needs to be straightened out and guilt is dispelled only when the truth is told. And only when that confession is made, guilt begins to melt away like a block of ice. Have you ever been in a... uh, Maybe it's an elegant restaurant. They've got an ice carving setting there. A little ice carving. If you had an occasion to remain there for a while, you will actually witness and watch that ice figure slowly melt into a formlessness that simply just disappears. See, guilt is like that huge block of ice. Kept in a dark, cold place, it remains hard, but brought into the light and identified and confessed, it begins to melt away. Soon it's gone. Hello? And free is the soul that is no longer frozen by that unaddressed guilt. And when we confess our guilt to the Lord, He promises to forgive us. That's what He did. David mentions that in verse 1. An exchange is actually made. A burden is lifted. He, he, he does not count it against us, David said. Rather, He clears our record. Oh, somebody ought to say praise God. Our debt is canceled. It is paid. And it's good. How many know it's a good feeling when your debts are paid? Praise God. And then letter D, forget the guilt. Once it's been addressed, forget it. Verses 1 and 5, David said, Thou forgavest the iniquity or guilt of my sin. And how many know God forgets our confessed sin? And so should we. God doesn't just put a record of our past sins in a heavenly closet somewhere up there to dig it out and go through it some later date. No, he demolishes and abolishes it. Oh, hallelujah. They are gone forever. That's what God did for David. When David confessed his sin to God, suddenly his sin and his guilt was gone. Gone forever. And that's exactly what Christ has done for us or can do for us. We need to forget the past and get on with our lives. God doesn't remember those confessed sins, so why should we? Amen. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Well, in conclusion, see, God's Son was born in a stable. How many know He didn't stop there? He later died on the cross so we could experience grace and forgiveness. If forgiveness was not important, there is no way Christ would have suffered what He did. Right? Sin and guilt are serious issues. We cannot be healthy and happy while living with guilt. God knew that and made provision for us to be free of guilt. And He does not just save us in order that we can go to heaven. No, He saves us so that we might have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Praise God. Somebody say full of glory. Not full of guilt. Right? He saves you. He saves me to have life and more abundant life in the here and now as well as in the sweet by and by. The byproduct of taking in the Word of God is the realization that we're guilty. We're forced to look in the mirror that James calls the Word of God and then call sin, sin. And Romans 3.23 said it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? Redemptive grace, though, resolves rational guilt. Remember that. Notice that on your study guide. I think it's there. Romans 5, I think it's Romans 5.14 tells us that death reigned from Adam and on and on and on. And even those who... hey, we weren't there. We didn't take a a bite from the, the fruit. But how many know? We're all guilty. Right? But aren't you glad there's a remedy? There's a remedy. And somebody say it's the grace of God. I said it's the grace of God. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. Romans 5 Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of glory of God. See, through Christ we have access by faith into His grace. So shame may say, you are what you have done. Guilt may say, you deserve the way you feel. But grace says, yes, shame and guilt have stolen a lot from me. Shame and guilt have hurt me and those I love. But today that ends. Why? Because Christ wins. He came and nailed our sin as Paul said to the Colossian church that we read earlier. He nailed our sin. He nailed our shame. He nailed our guilt to the cross. He gives His righteousness. He gives His life. He gives His forgiveness. He gives His redemption to us. I am loved by a heavenly Father. You are loved by a heavenly Father. We are a new creation. I am what I am thanks to the grace of God. Oh, somebody ought to rejoice right there. If that doesn't light your fire, church, your woods wet. I said, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Somebody stand and give Him praise. Somebody say, thank God. I am what I am to the grace of God. We owe it to the grace of God. Hallelujah.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Oh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Oh, grace, grace, God.
0: rejoice in Him, cleanse within
1: all grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I
0: thought it interesting, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, I think is God's Word for us during the Advent season. Basically, let me paraphrase it in Isaiah chapter 41 and 2. God says, comfort my people. Let them know that their hard work's been recognized. Their sins have been forgiven. And at the end of verse two, he says something like, I'm going to give you a double portion of grace. Isn't that beautiful? God gave them twice as much grace as they needed to atone for their guilt and their evil. Somebody say twice as much. And that double portion, the coming of Christ and then the cross of Christ should instill within us as believers a confidence and an inner peace that nobody else can give us. And although guilt can be a a good thing when it leads us to God in repentance, but unresolved guilt can rob us of our life and power with God. And ironically, it can drive us the wrong way rather than the right way. But we don't have to because we're loved by God. So let Him, if you're here tonight, let Him break those chains. You can leave this sanctuary 100% forgiven.
1: Oh, hallelujah. You can leave this sanctuary covered by the grace of God. Oh, grace, grace. God's grace. Hallelujah. Oh, rejoice, church. Oh grace grace God's grace grace that is greater than
0: all us verse says dark is the stain that we cannot hide what can we do to wash it away Look, there's a flowing crimson tide Brighter than snow you may be today
1: Oh grace, grace God's grace Grace that will and
0: Altars are open. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. Ladies, prayer tomorrow, 6.30 in the evening. Men, we meet Saturday at 8 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Oh,
1: we'll sing it again. Oh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace. We at Broadway want to say thank you for joining us in worship today via online. We want to invite you to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please, if you don't mind, share us across your social media platforms. Let me just say a quick prayer of blessing. Today, as we just conclude our time together in this video, Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this avenue of worship that we have to utilize our online tools and furthering your gospel, furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would bless those who have tuned in today. Keep your hand on them. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. And God, just do a work in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Amen.